0: The following audio is from a sermon series for the season of Advent 2019. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, Sacred City. Good morning. Let's try it again. How you guys doing? Good morning, Sacred City. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. We family up in here. It is good to be with you all here this morning. Um, as as Ben said, I feel like this is a second family, and I love coming to be with you all here. I love teaching the Porterbrook classes and getting to know more of the folks outside of a Sunday morning and just seeing what God is doing here in your midst. If you're new with us this morning, my name is Derek Puckett. As you saw in the picture, I'm the pastor of a church called Renewal Church of Chicago. Um right in the center of the city, it's a multi-ethnic gospel center disciple-making church in the city of Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago, Chicago's divided across many different lines, socioeconomically and racially. It's one of the most divided cities in America and possibly the world. And we started our church about five years ago in that city. And by God's grace, we're seeing hundreds of people coming through the doors. Um, disciples are being made, and those walls of division between us are being crossed. And people are coming and worshiping Jesus all together as one in the church. I always tell people, if you walk in, you're not gonna see a, whole, a little bit of pepper in the midst of salt. You're gonna see it's gonna be. It's gonna look not. Y'all gonna get that when you go home, okay? <laughs> It's it's a whole bunch of people coming together from different backgrounds, worshiping Jesus. Um, our church now, we do two services. It's 930 and 11 a.m. And I want to say something about that because um, I know that two services can be a little bit daunting and it can be. Like, oh man, we're about to change up the feel of our services. We're about to change up what we've been used to for all these years. And I'm not going to see the people that I normally see on Sunday. And we can't go to lunch and we can't do all these things. Those are the things that we feel, right? I mean, those are real things. But here's the reality as Ben spoke so eloquently about it. You all think, I want you to think of this, and I want to challenge you to think of this evangelistically. There are people outside these doors in the Quad Cities, Davenport, all over the place that want to come here, that have heard about what's going on in Sacred City, but they don't make it on a Sunday morning. And two services gives people those chances to get inside these doors. So as much as we're thinking about what we feel and the things that might be broken and things we might lose, what could God actually do with us giving them another service? Just think about all the people that can come in here. So this is what my challenge is. I don't want you guys to think about all the things we can lose. Think about what God could do. Think about how you can get involved. Think about the people's hands that you'll shake, the smiles that you'll give them, their chance to see Jesus when they're not getting that chance otherwise. That's what you guys get to partake in. Uh, First Sunday, we did two services um, just to give you some insight in it. In one weekend, we grew over 100 people one weekend and all we did was add a service and so there's something that God can do with that and I don't want us to limit God with what he's doing I'm looking around it's packed in here you all look good but look I want more seats in here I want people to come in I heard you got like 120 kids that's amazing keep making kids do all that stuff but but y'all you got to have room for all of this you got to parking and this and that and 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 but no, unbeknownst to us, there's some people that are walking here, as much as we like it, feeling packed, they'll walk in and be like, ain't no seat for me. I'm not coming back. Uh, it's not, uh, there's nothing. For, I, can't, I can't even listen because I'm standing up. And so we don't want any deterrences from people coming to know Jesus, do we? We want them to experience the love, the joy, the fellowship that we get every Sunday here at Sacred City and throughout the week. So here's another opportunity for folks to come in and disciples to be made and us to share Jesus with them. Y'all get excited about what God is doing here. He's up to something. And this is just the beginning. Come on now. Y'all can clap better than that. With that said, I'd be remiss if I didn't give honor to my brother, my friend, Pastor Justin Dean and Mama Dean. Um, Yeah, this is a dream that started in their hearts long ago. And now all of you all are here, and there's more being done. There's churches being planted, Sacred City Moline, and things around um, the world that you guys are part of, giving money to that, as well as investing your time, your talents. They're not here this morning, but I'm going to act like they were here. Can y'all just put your hand together for your your lead pastor and, and his wife this morning? Go give him a big hug and say it's from Pastor Derek. You know, Jump on him, too. He may not like that, but just tell him it's from me, all right? Don't hurt him, though. Um, as you saw in the picture, I'm married to this fine woman named Kaylee. And I I tell everybody about this. Y'all may have heard this before, but, y'all, she is the wonder, in my wonder bread. I love that woman. She's the aftershave on my bald head. She's the sugar in my Kool-Aid. Uh, but as you can see, I didn't bring my sugar with me this morning, so... I'm ready to get home to her. I can't wait to get home to her and my five babies. I got four girls and one little man, and I love them dearly, and they've been rolling with me in this vision um, that God has given us here in Chicago, but I'm looking forward to getting home with them. But I'm, I'm grateful to be with you all this morning here at Sacred City. Now, we started last week this Advent series, and um, Advent, this whole idea of looking, as you just read the passage with us in Romans 5, And even just through the beautiful worship this morning, your worship team is amazing. Thank God for them singing and leading us in worship this morning. But this whole Advent season is us looking to the arrival of Jesus, us slowing down just a bit to remember the goodness of Jesus, to remember what he did and his coming to this earth, what that actually means to us. That's huge news, it's good news. And the, the temptation is that Christmas, as much as we think, we think about, okay, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to slow down, the reality is that sometimes we just speed up during this time. I got to go get these gifts. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we miss the reason for the season. We miss that we should be worshiping Jesus right now. And in the midst of everything going on, we need to calm down a bit and just think of the goodness of God sending Jesus. So this morning, we're going to continue in that series, and we're going to look at peace. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and keep it open as you've already heard the word of God read in Romans 5, 1 through 11. We're going to look at peace this morning. Before we go any further, would you just pray with me? Father God, you are an awesome God. You're a good God, and we thank you for who you are. Father, I just ask that you be in this place, that you would decrease me. Hide me behind your cross. Father, would you increase here so they hear a word from you? We give you this time, God. Move in a way that only you can. Let the hearers hear a word that's needed in a timely season. Let us slow down, God, and enter those spaces in our hearts where we don't feel peace, and those spaces where we feel like this season is just It's not slowing down, it's going, God, can we just calm down and just hear you this morning? Have your way this morning, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen, amen. amen. I'm going to tell you this before I get started. I have to remind you guys again, I look a little bit different than Justin, right? Although I pastor a multi-ethnic church, I love when people talk back to me, okay? So if something resonates in your spirit, y'all can say amen, okay? It will not scare me. You can say hallelujah, all of that, I tell you. But don't say bring it home, pastor. That means sit down, you're boring me, get out of my... Just, 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 Y'all can say amen, though. It's okay. It'll make me preach fast, and we'll get out of here to brunch, all right? Let me begin with this. When you hear the word peace... What do you think of? You don't have to ask that. I just want you to answer that. I just want you to think about it. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? See, peace in our society has so many different meanings, doesn't it? You could say peace to someone as a means to say goodbye, chuck the deuces, peace. You could say go in peace, which means I hope you have a peaceful day. You could even say, like Miss America, I just desire to see peace on earth. <laughs> the pain, I just want to have peace on earth because you, you you want to you see all the corruption, you see the violence, you want it gone. Or you could pray, God, I just God just give me some more peace in my life because you just want a sense of normality. You see, as we can see, we, there's many. Uh, definitions and many different ways we've used this word peace and because of this as I'm reading this text and I'm thinking about the topic of peace I honestly had a tough time with this one because I struggle to see a whole bunch of true peace in today's society. Anybody resonate with that? I mean when you turn on the news you don't hear about peace. You hear about turmoil. You hear about Murder, you hear about famine, you hear about war, wars, hatred, corruption, all over the place. You don't hear about peace or true peacemaking. See, true peacemaking or peace is not a hot topic. But yet, at the same time, there is this peace of us inside of us that yearns to see true peace on earth. We yearn to see true peace in our lives. We yearn to see true peace in the lives of other people. We yearn to see peace. But see, th- th- therein lies the problem because, I, I, and I may step on somebody's shoes just a little bit, don't, don't just go with me, please venture with me. I, I would venture to say that because of all the pain and the suffering that's in this world around us combined with the individualism of America, there's a lack of true peacemaking and a lack of true peace in our lives. And see, what happens is that now peace is about self-love. Love yourself. Find inner peace, where now peace has only become about the individual. And excuse me, but that is a sorry substitute for peace. Yeah. Peace is not just about us individually feeling peace or loving ourselves. You know why? Because here's the reality while the individual may feel some peace or have this facade of peace, there's a hurting and dying world right outside their front door. And so, when you step outside the front door into the hurting and dying world, there's hell all around you. So, there's no peace. And then, what happens is you got to rehearse to yourself it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. It's going to be a better day. You got to do this over and over again. Or then you look at people and you're like, man, that, that dude over there, he's a vibe. Yo, I didn't know that people could be vibes. It, it's something they say in Chicago like that. I thought it was emotion, an emotion, but they say that person's a vibe. And what they're really saying is you messing up my peace. You messing up my space right now. I can't hang around you. And see, the reality is that, that, that and we don't like to face this hard truth, but the world and this earth and everything around us is not going to get better. It's not, it's not going to be okay, at least not on this side of heaven, at least not on this earth. Things don't really get better until the new heaven and new earth come when Jesus comes back. So there's always going to be those so-called vibes around you. People you don't want to be around, things that happen that you're like, man, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this storm again? There's always going to be these hard times. But hear me, even with that, I'm not I'm not against you finding inner peace. I'm not about that. And I'm not about you. I'm not against you loving yourself. I'm all for it. But the question is, what, what is your source? Where are you getting that from? I mean, because if it's just about us doing this and that, it's about us getting peace from ourselves. That's not going to work. Because we move and we change just like the wind and the waves. We're up and down, fickle all over the place. True peace has to come from somebody who's not going to change, who is greater than us, who's not fickle in his ways, who's stable and is the same God who was the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The person I only know, that, that, that one is Jesus. I mean, So, so, so it, it's got to be founded in someone else. Peace got to come from Jesus. Can't come from us. The Bible says this in Philippians 4, 6-7. It says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, I love this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." Family, hear me. True peace comes from God, not from me, not from you. It comes from God. So the slogan shouldn't be self-love. It should be love God. It should be love God because if you love God, then you not only are going to understand how to love yourself, but the scripture lets us know that in him we'll find our peace. But with that, we have trouble sometimes believing that. So I want you to ponder this question. Where do you find your peace? What is it that you run to? Secondly, when you think about peace, what pops in your mind? Be honest. I want you to ponder that as we walk through this passage today. Now, in our text, chapter 5 begins with this ringing affirmation of the objective legal standing of the Christian. See, the Christian, through faith in Jesus Christ, has been justified or declared righteous by God once and for all. The result of this is that the Christian is no longer living under the fear of judgment and the wrath of God, but has peace with God. So hear me, this is not merely a subjective feeling. This is an objective reality. Y'all might have missed that. So hear me when I say this again. This means that peace is not just a feeling. Now, I know I'm messing up some of your thoughts around peace because you're like, I just want to feel peace. The reality is that the Christian doesn't just feel peace. That's a reality we live in on a day-to-day basis. Now, does this mean that I can be like Dorothy on the Wizard of Oz and just click my heels back and forth and just dream of a better place and I'm going to go? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I mean. Look, 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 there is a better place outside of this world, but that's not what I'm talking about. No, what this means is that my visual reality in front of me can be messed up. It can be turmoil all around me. But there is a peace that surpasses my understanding, even of what I see, that I have in God, regardless of my circumstances. So when I lose my job out of the blue, wasn't expecting it. Although it may hurt, I can still lift up the name of Jesus and give him praise because that job didn't define me. Jesus does. When that relationship with that friend or that boyfriend or girlfriend, even in your marriage, goes awry and it turns upside down, I can still give God praise because my relationship with Jesus still exists. Better yet, when I fall short when I do something I shouldn't have been doing, when I'm involved in an activity that I know that does not please God, I might feel shame and guilt from it, but at the end of the day, I don't sit there because my activity is not my identity. I am a child of God. Now, hear me, this may be a bit confusing to some of us because peace is is not something where if you live right, if you do this, do right, you will achieve it. That, that's not the piece this text is talking about. This is a piece that's not warranted because of works, but graciously given to the believer because of someone else's work, Jesus. And with that said, I would argue, don't miss this, that the person that's struggling with a peace problem, saying, I don't feel peace in my life, They're not really struggling with a peace problem. They're struggling with a faith problem. I know this because when we look at the text, it starts out in verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, don't miss it, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us just missed that. It says, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through Jesus. So hear me, we cannot talk about having peace unless we talk about faith. But there lies the problem. Because sometimes our faith is misplaced or we place it in someone or something that is not stable. So therefore, our peace is affected. Y'all still missing this. So let me put it this way. My Bible thumpers in here. Go with me. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is sleeping on the boat in the midst of the storm. Y'all remember that? Y'all, Jesus is, he's knocked out. I mean, straight knocked out the text talks about. It's a storm, torrential winds. Jesus on the pillow sleeping with the drool dripping out his mouth, just, you know, dreaming of angels and stuff. I mean, Jesus is gone right now. He's knocked out in the boat. And the disciples are there as the, the boat. It says in the text that the, the boat is being swamped by waves. It's overtaking the boat. And the disciples, they're freaking out. I mean, if you, you read the text, you can read the tone. And they're, they're, they're going crazy in the midst of this because a lot of people die in these storms. But see, they're, they're sitting in the storm, and they're probably grabbing buckets and throwing water out, throwing all these things outside of the boat. They're trying to figure it out. And then they look at Jesus, and my man Jesus is just chilling, I mean, he's sleep, y'all, in the midst of this. That's some deep sleep. And you read the text and you're like, how in the world is Jesus able to sleep in the midst of a storm? How do you do that, Jesus? How is that even possible? Well, they wake him up and he answers it in verse 26. Look at this. He says this. Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't wake up and say, it's cool. Calm down. He said, why are you afraid? You, you got little faith. Then he rose up and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Family, Jesus was able to stay calm because his trust was in God or himself being God. So he knows, just like he displays in the text, that when he gets up, he has the power to calm the storm. He has the power to calm the winds and the waves, but on the other hand, the disciples, here's us, don't really have the faith in Jesus right then. In fact, once he calms the storm, they start marveling at him and saying, Whoa, whoa, who who is this man? They've been with Jesus. Who, Who is this man that he can calm the wind and the waves? And see, what we're failing to realize, here's where it really gets deep. What we're failing to realize and put together is that most of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, don't miss this, at the time they were fishermen. Follow me with this. They're fishermen, so I'm pretty sure they're fairly confident in their boating or sailing skills. They know what they're doing. So so when they see this storm brewing, I'm pretty sure instead of waking Jesus, they're like, oh, yeah, let's get the sails right. Let's start pulling in nets. Let's pull into poles. Let's do all the things we need to do. Let's start rowing to the shore. They're they're not depending on Jesus. They're like, no, let's do what we know we need to do. We got this one. We can do it. They start doing what they know how to do best in their own power. Don't miss it. They don't turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, there's a storm brewing. What shall we do? Uh, we we need your help. What, what do you want us to do? No, 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 no. They don't do that. Instead, they wait until it's beyond their control. And then they turn to Jesus. Fix it. We need you, Jesus. We can't do this. Fix it. It's beyond our control. See, some of us may have caught that, but that's our problem. We don't turn to trust Jesus unless we figure out that the situation is beyond our control. Then we say, Jesus, fix it. Please help me. I can't control it. Hear me, many times we don't have peace because our faith is misplaced. And commonly, our faith is placed in our own abilities. It's placed in what we can do. And instead of being like Jesus and having peace in the midst of the storm sleeping, We're too busy trusting ourselves. We're throwing that figurative water out of the boat of our life. Like, let me get rid of this, let me get rid of this before we come to Jesus. We miss the peace. We act just like the disciples. And let me get rid of this relationship. Ah, it's toxic. Let me get, let me stop this addiction. It's, it's really creating a storm in my life. It's messing. Let me get rid of that. Let me stop this. Let me get this amount of money. Let me stop this. Let me do that. I can do it. I can do it. Instead of putting our faith in God, we put it in ourselves or something else to give us the satisfaction that we want or we think we need until it fails us. And then when it fails us, we run to God. Looking for peace, just like the disciples, because our life is all out of control. Jesus, fix it for me. I can't do it anymore. Let me ask you, what if we trusted him on the front end? What if first thing we did in the morning wasn't check our phones and just said, Jesus, what are you? where are you leading me today what if we what if it didn't take our world turning upside down for us to come to him what if we just I mean although we have these things that we know how to do well we have these strengths we have these skills we just realized that none of that all of that pales in comparison to an almighty God What if we just sat in the fact that, man, my sin-stained self, I shouldn't even be alive without Jesus. How much different, let me ask you, how much different would our lives be? How much peace would we have? Family, we don't have a peace problem. We have a faith problem. Our peace hinges on us having faith in the right person. It's because when it's in the right person and those storms of life come and they, and they go and they batter and they bruise you. They mess you up quite a bit you, along the way. You, you, you're able to keep going undisturbed because your faith is in an almighty God who, guess what, can make the storm cease. Faith. Hear me, it's believing in God and his word and his promises. The outcome of faith, we look at Hebrews 11, 11, it tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. which means that although things may be crazy around you, to have faith is to believe in a God who's bigger and better than your circumstance so you can praise him in the good times and the bad. But wait a second, Pastor, hold up, hold up. Wait a second, Pastor, let's take a second here. I mean, I hear you preaching, but I heard you say in the good and the bad. I heard you say the storms of life. Now, Pastor D, I love your preaching and all that. I love that you come to Sacred City, but that doesn't sound like peace to me. I know that's what y'all saying. It doesn't sound like peace to me. I'm not really hearing anything peaceful. I mean, I I don't want to go through any storms. I don't want to have any problems in my life. That's not peace. But this brings us back to the text, because you look at the text, it's a question I had in the beginning, Is this, what is this text actually speaking about when it says peace? Well, let's look back at it. The text says peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Key words, peace with God. I mentioned it in the beginning, but this peace with God involves this legal standing. It involves us being seen as righteous in God's eyes, it, because Jesus has paid our sin debt. Now, what does that mean? Let's break that down a bit. Okay, Romans speaks to all that. If you flick backwards to Romans chapter 1, Paul starts talking about us turning away from God, and we're worshiping now the creation instead of the creator. We, he says we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Essentially, he's saying we as a people have chosen to live our lives the way we want to live them instead of glorifying God with our lives. We int- in- innately and internally, not just outwardly, we-, we-, we rebel against God and the good things of God, and then we run after what we think is right. We've sinned against God. We've rebelled against God. We've missed the mark of His holiness. We don't measure up on His measuring rod, and instead of humbling, uh, re- willingly seeing this and acknowledging our sin, some of us, according to Romans 1, we keep on running in the way that we think is right. And, it, and he says that, that all of us at one time actually did this. We all rebelled against God. Wait, wait a second, Pastor. No, no, no. I love Jesus. I've been in church my whole life. No, 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 no. Romans 3 tells us that none are righteous, not one. Including me, Romans 3.23 says, for all, keyword all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have met the mark of God's holiness. None of us have, have lived up to the standard. And you, I know you, wait, wait, wait a second. I love God. I ain't done nothing wrong. I, I know this is tough and this has nothing to do with the works of your hands. So look at this passage with me because if you keep reading through Romans 5, you see what I'm really getting at. It says this, therefore, just as sin came in the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. So it's not something that you necessarily did. Look, we're born into this, we're, we're, we're sinful. There's an innate sin within us. See, family, what I'm trying to get at is that because of that sin, there is a debt, there's a cost. There's, a, there's wages that need to be paid. And because of that, there's this chasm or this great divide between us and God because God is holy without sin. And we, regardless of how great we think we are, we don't fit that. We, we have sin. We're not like him. And the problem with that is, hear me with this, is that not only is God sinless, but he can't stand sin. And the wages of sin according to Romans six twenty three, is death. Y'all keep following me with this. So in order for death to not be our outcome, there had to be a payment for those sin wages. And the payment is not one that can be made by any amount of money or any amount of work that we do, your good works, my good works. It's a payment that had to be made by blood, but not just any blood. This blood had to be untainted. This blood had to be without blemish. This blood had to be without sin. So what does God do? Even though he knows that we're in our sin, even though he can't stand sin, he loves us enough to send the unblemished lamb of God, Jesus, into the world to die for us. Jesus comes into this world, he lives the life that we should have lived, then he dies the death that we deserve on the cross. He takes our sin upon himself and defeats sin and death once and for all, taking it to the grave, and then he raises from the grave, and now that pathway of fellowship, that pathway of righteousness, that pathway of reconciliation between us and God is opened up because of Jesus. Y'all hear me there, there now, if you believe there, there's reconciliation, there's peace between man and God. There was no peace between man and God unless someone died and that someone had to be without sin. So Jesus, God in the flesh dies. He had to die for us, but some of y'all not getting this. It's too quiet in here. Y'all missing your amens, all of that stuff. <laughs> True story here, and let me end with this, and i and I get out of your way, but true story. In the summer of 1937, in Mississippi, there was this rail bridge operated by the name of John Griffith. He had a son that was named Greg, and he took him to work with him one day. Greg was eight years old at the time, and Greg, he, he wanted to know what his daddy did. So he said, come on to work with me, son, and he and John, with his son Greg, Greg's running around. He's poking at different things. He's trying to figure out what works and how they work, different things like eight-year-old sons do. You know? His sons are running around, and he's asking questions, and he's pulling out all this thing. So, 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 so Greg, Greg does all of this, and John is watching, and he says, look, look, let me just tell you what I do. So he starts defining what a rail bridge operator does. He says, look, I, this bridge you see out there, it stands over the great Mississippi River. And what happens is I pull this lever right here, and every time I pull the lever, the bridge will open up, and now big ships can actually pass through the Mississippi River onto the other side because the, the bridge is too low right now. But on top of the bridge, there's the train that comes by. Train comes by every time, and I lower the bridge for it. I make sure the bridge is there for the train to come by, but I, I raise it up when the ships come by. And so the day goes on, and he sees his daddy doing this over and over again. And at one part in the day, John, he raises the bridge up, let a ship go past, and a moment or two later, while the bridge is still standing, he he starts looking around. He's frantic. He's looking for a son. He can't find his son, and he looks out the window, and he sees his eight-year-old son now climbing on the gears of the bridge. So he goes outside, he starts yelling at his son, Greg, 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 come in. But as he's yelling at him, he hears the sound of the Memphis Express train coming, carrying 400 pe- people. So now he's even more frantic, what do I do? Because his, his son can't hear him. He can't save him. But yet he has to let this bridge down. So he's caught in the dile- dilemma because his son is climbing on the gears of the bridge. So here's the dilemma. If he lets the bridge down to let these 400 people go by, he's going to kill his son. But if he keeps it up, then all 400 people on that Memphis Express will die. It's a dilemma. Do I kill my son or do I let 400 people die? Now, let me ask you, my parents in here, what would you do? If you let 400 people die, would you sacrifice your son? John, after sitting in this dilemma for the seconds that he had, he makes the unfathomable decision. He pulls the lever allows this bridge to go down, crushing his son. It said that the train went by and John could see the faces of the passengers. Some people reading, some people even waving at him with big smiles on their faces. And he's sitting there watching them go past. And none of them are realizing the sacrifice that was made on their behalf. John starts weeping and he says, don't you realize that my son just died so that you could have life? And family, here's the reality. Some of us are just like those passengers. Especially in this season, we just keep riding by on the train. And we miss the sacrifice that's been given on our behalf by God. And we keep on riding by, doing our life the way we want. And in that process, we're missing the peace of God through Jesus' sacrifice. And what happens is that we keep on searching for that peace. In all these other things around us, we keep on going we don't stop to realize it, and that, that Jesus has already died. And God, just like John in the story is sitting there saying, don't you realize that my son has already died for you? He died so that you could have peace with me. That you can look forward to a forward glory that's much bigger and better than the things that you experience on a day-to-day basis. It's peace with me that's much better than the peace that you're longing for on this earth. It's peace with me, God. But I know some of us are still saying, well, I still don't see the peace in that. I'm going through it. I'm getting hit with storms and problems, and all different from all different angles. I, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting hurt right now, Pastor. I'm, I'm getting hit. Hear me. Peace with God does not mean that you will not have issues or problems in this life. You will have trouble. You will have issues. You will have problems. This world will get hard, but peace with God means that if you believe, you will not suffer the consequences of your sin. He's saying, "Look, look, Jesus has already took the consequences of your sin. And here's the reality. We will never understand the full cup of wrath that Jesus took on himself. We'll never understand the peace that we get to experience because we will never have to experience that death on the cross. But as we walk in our lives and we experience our sin and we experience the mess that we are and and, and what we bring to the table and how how God has been so good to us, y'all. It's a time where we can remember and say, thank you, Jesus, for being so good and we can meditate on him. And have peace. So so that means that although problems may occur on your job or in your life, it may not be going right right now. The believer can have peace with God that surpasses understanding. That's why heaven is such a sweet time. That's why this time of year, I look forward to it every year. I think about it all the time because this is a time where everybody in our world, our country is thinking about, man, let's slow down a bit. Christmas is coming and we get the chance as the church to sit and remember What this really means that Jesus has stepped out of heaven and came here and died the death that we were supposed to die. And now because of that, there's peace with God. So hear me. Your year may be feeling like it's a messed up year. And 2019, wasn't your year. But instead of dwelling on the mess, remember what Christ did for you. Maybe you're weak or even last night. Y'all I can tell you, this week has been a mess for me. I've been hurting all kinds of ways from different people and things in my church, things around me. But yet, I can meditate on the goodness I have in Jesus and allows me to keep going and feel a peace regardless of what I'm feeling from people or things around me because I'm meditating on his goodness. I mean, you may have walked in here and you're in a storm. You feel like, a, you know, a storm is on the rise. You can see it. It's coming. Some problems, things are about to occur in your life. You see it. But instead of meditating on that, why don't you just sit and dwell? Rest in Jesus. Doesn't mean it won't hit. But you know, you can go through this storm because you serve and trust a God that's much bigger and better than your circumstance. Family, let's not get caught riding by on that train and miss the goodness of God. Remember, we that believe, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. You're a good God. God, I know there are folks here that is still figuring us out and still running after you, God. Still saying, I want to feel that peace. God, I pray that they would have heard the words today, that you intercede in their hearts right now and draw men to yourself, men and women to yourself, because we know that your God can do that. God, I also pray for the believer that walked in here that's feeling all kind of mess. And Christmas season is not a season that they look forward to, it's a season of hurt and things that they rem- they're reminded of that they don't want to be reminded of. God, I pray for them and I pray for all people that have walked in here that we would just sit and remember the goodness of God and the peace we have in Jesus through your sacrifice. That's good news. Let us not forget the goodness we have in Jesus. God, as we come to the table this morning to partake in a meal with one another, God, let us remember that sacrifice. And let us celebrate in Thanksgiving. It's in the mighty name we pray. In Jesus' name, all these things. And everyone said together, amen.